morning. Welcome, Christ Community Church. Welcome to the people in the house. It is good to see you. Let us give you a
pass along those, uh, those resources as those best for you. I think that's everything I want to talk about this morning. Let me just say a quick word of prayer, and we will kick this off. Father, thank you for uh, the opportunity to be here today. Thank you for those who are able to come and gather in house with us this morning, and we look forward in the coming uh, weeks and months to seeing, hopefully, uh, more and more faces in your house on Sunday morning. We just pray that you come and be with us now, Father, that you would help us to be mindful and discerning of what it is you might have to say to us either through worship or through the message or through the words of a friend. And uh, I just pray that whatever it is you would reveal to us, we would be diligent and obedient to take that message, Father, and to make it real in our lives. Come now, Father, enjoy our worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Mr. Jason. Again, and, and you folks take advantage of that so faithfully. I would love to see you uh, take advantage of that opportunity to email us at prayer.cbaday.com in the way that you would normally use the prayer cards here because we would love to do prayer for you, pray with you. I know the prayer cards can be uh, a little more anonymous because you don't necessarily have to put your name on there and plug in. But, uh, but anyway, if you're comfortable with uh, sending it to just Pastor Jason and I, you know, of course, we'll keep your confidence. And we uh, just so honored to pray for you. So, folks, there's power in prayer. We'll take it for the power of God. He's so good and so faithful to hear us. Uh, and, you know, of course, we're telling you, it doesn't mean he gives us the answers we want. He gives us the answers we need. He gives us the direction.
Some of you maybe haven't joined us in a few weeks, or this is your first time seeing us. This is not what our stage normally looks like, although it's pretty cool. I dig it. Um, we were so thrilled to host our friends from TBA Theater for some shows here over the Christmas holiday, uh, the Christmas Carol, one-man show, and uh, Christmas with Laura Ingalls, and then uh, also a partner to present to you, uh, You Can't Cancel Christmas, a little variety show that they put out. And uh, these are the props and stage designs from those shows, and uh, they're still here. They'll probably be here for at least another week, as everybody has been out doing their holiday thing. We didn't want to be in here working through those holidays that we were celebrating. So we get to enjoy the, the trappings of that for a little bit longer. And uh, when they go away, it's going to feel awfully empty up here, so we might have to do something about that. But it's been a lot of fun to have it here, and it was really uh, a great privilege to do that with TBA Theater and our friends there. And, uh, you know, over the years, I've been affiliated with TBA now for about uh, 10 years, and it's just been an, an incredible blessing to me as an individual, but it's been a blessing to our church as well. They partnered with us in some of our technical projects here. They've been a resource for us uh, in uh, uh, intellectual uh, information regarding this kind of stuff. And as well, um, we've had a number of members now who've joined the church over the last 10 years uh, who have been direct connections through that uh, interaction through the theater company and, and shows that I've been in. And uh, even here just this week, I uh, received a message from somebody who uh, is having a tough time and needs to, to have some conversation. And that's a conversation I never would have have had if we didn't build that relationship and friendship with TBA Theater. And they, uh, they celebrate us in that, which I appreciate from them, even though we are not of the same faith in that regard. Uh, they actually let their folks know that they have a they have a pastor kind of on their team and they direct people to me and I, and God honors that and I'm just so thrilled about that and so it's really exciting to be able to do that again this week and I'll be having some conversations with some folks this coming week and a very difficult time in their lives and so uh, 
That was what we kind of dreamed about when we started to have that connection. And it's been a very frustrating year in that regard, right? Because we haven't been able to do any of those things. So to be able to have a little bit of touch of that has been really uh, fun. So I say all that to say that probably over the next few months, there'll be some opportunities for you to support uh, TBA Theater and the things that they're doing in the community. And I'll encourage you to do that and uh, make sure that that relationship is going both directions. All right, so with that, we are continuing uh, in the book of Mark. Uh, We rejoined our series last week, picked up where we had left off when we moved into uh, thanks, actually, what was it, uh, Gripesgiving that we did in November, and then Advent for December, and then we jumped back into the book of Mark, Mark chapter 7, and we're going to pick right up pick up right where we left off last week, Mark chapter 7, verse 14. And Jesus here is continuing a thought that we discussed last week, sort of. He begins to actually take and, and move a little deeper into the conversation that he was having. And just to kind of recap you, last week, it was a discussion about what some might call legalism. Really, at the core of it, it is taking human preferences human likes based around religious practices and presenting them as if they are the gospel or as if they are doctrine when they really are things that different traditions, different denominations, even down to different churches have chosen, oh, I like this or I like this or this works for us, this style of music, um, this style of dress, this style of auditorium. I mean, there are places that would be hypercritical of us simply because we own these light fixtures. That would be a no-no. That's, that's the world. None of that is biblical. We have to stick to what's actually in the text because we say that we are Christians and particularly as Baptists that we are people who believe the Bible. And so we go to the Bible as our authority to understand how God wants us to live and to work and to move in the world around us. And so Jesus talked with his disciples and with religious leaders last week, and he said to them, you guys are really great at taking the preferences that you have and these teachings of men and turning them into doctrines and ignoring the actual commands of God. In fact, if you remember last week, one of the things that Jesus said was, when you take these preferences, these likes and dislikes, and you teach them as if they're equal to biblical truth, Jesus said the result of that is that you actually turn people against the commands of God when you do that. And so I encouraged you last week, don't be caught in that trap. Don't be be fooled in that way. Remember to rely on the word of God. He's preserved it for us and given it to us to teach us, and we should trust it. And so then here we find, kind of in the same conversation, Jesus calls people to himself and begins to teach. And it's a similar idea, but Jesus is going to, to dig into something that should be very personal, potentially could be very convicting for us as we understand what he's saying. Because one of the things I also want to remind you of in the conversation from last week was, while Jesus said that we should not be subject to the teachings that are, that are human-designed, that are built up and designed in the, the hearts and minds of humans, and then be taught those as if they're biblical, by the same token, that does not mean that the Christian life is lived without restraint. 
That does not mean that there isn't uh, restraint for us in the way that we live, that there are things that we should and should not be participating in. And again, all we have to do is go back to the Bible, and it will give us a good idea of what those things are that God wants us to abstain from or be careful of or be, uh, only approach in moderation and not abuse. There are many things like that in Scripture, and he teaches us this. And this passage begins to, to knock on that door and I see this as very intentional on Jesus' part because you could take the passage from last week where we ended at verse 13, and if you just stop there and never think about anything else, you could build that as a case of saying, well, it doesn't matter what I do. I mean, as long as it's, as long as it's not written down in here, it doesn't matter what I do. And there's truth in that. But the problem that I find with a lot of Christians today is they don't actually know what's written down in here because they don't spend time reading it. And I, I am, I'm suffering in a season of my life right now that I think is almost over. I'm starting to feel it turn around in my life, and I don't really know how to describe it. But I actually saw someone um, on the dumpster fire that is Twitter this week that I follow who mentioned the same issue, and it made me feel a little better because it at least made me feel like I wasn't alone. But it's this. Up until two years ago, you could not find me without a book to read, usually four or five at a time. And I would bounce around between them, and then if I really got invested in one, I'd, I'd blow through that, and then I'd grab another one. But for the last two years, I have been in some sort of a weird reading drought. And about the only thing that I do read is the Bible. And you might say, well, that's, I mean... That's better than nothing, right? But there are times I struggle with that. And it has something to do with my attention span, which is probably related to that little electronic device that sits in my hand all the time and is now built to give us all of our information in 30 seconds or less. And so I'm wrestling with that. I'm trying to figure out how to moderate that and address that in my life because I miss the joy of reading but one thing that I found that has been somewhat helpful in starting to bridge that gap, and probably many of you utilize as well, are audible books, books on audio, um, podcasts, which do book readings and things like that. I also have a couple of different versions of the Bible on audio that I can listen to. And so I only say that to encourage you because I know I see it in our culture because I see it among my friends and I'm experiencing it myself. The art of reading, other than for news or informational purposes or to get directions to go somewhere, is really being lost in our culture in a lot of ways. And when we do that, we're missing out on so much beautiful information and the thought of so many people that have been out there. You know, not just the Bible, but there are scores and scores of, of wonderful Christian thinkers, apologists, theologians, uh, historians who have written incredible things as they've seen insight into the church and into the Bible over the last uh, generations that we lose access to if we begin to just not touch that, that idea of reading and, and, and embracing those things into our lives. So I say that to say, if you are finding yourself to be like me in a drought of reading, something's changed, or maybe it's just never been your thing and you struggle with that, I would encourage you to explore 
audible books, and I would encourage you to explore an audible Bible. Because the most important thing, especially when it comes to the Bible, is that you get it in you. Uh, in fact, the Bible doesn't always desire to be studied. Sometimes it just needs to be eaten. Jesus said that the word of God is, is bread. When Satan tempted him with bread, he said, I don't want the bread, I need the word of God. Man lives not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so I remember uh, my brother-in-law, David, when I was a young man in my teens, we talked about this, and I was very much into studying. I was the, the youth group president, and I knew, man, I knew it all, right? And I was, I was digging in there. And he just looked at me and said, you know, sometimes you should just read that thing. Because it's like food. If you get it in you, it'll do what it's supposed to do. And he was so wise in that. And so I just really encourage you in that, one way or another, whether it's through your ears or through your eyes reading it, make a commitment this year to be in the Bible and read the Word of God. Because then, when someone comes to you with a teaching that isn't true or tries to sell you on something that is a perversion of what God has said, you have a chance of knowing that that's not the truth because you know the Word. All right, so here's what happens. We, we had that conversation last week about the rules of men versus what's really uh, God's commandments and how those two things can often be in conflict. And then Jesus takes this a little further and it says this in verse 14, Mark chapter seven, verse 14, it says, and he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, the disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Are you with me? Are you with Jesus? Jesus is talking about poop right there. <laughs> he is. In fact, it says this next, right? Do you not understand? Uh, it doesn't go into his heart, it goes into his stomach and is expelled. Thus, he declared all foods clean. Praise the Lord for that. I love bacon, and lobster, and shrimp, deer. Amen, Cliff, deer. So he's talking about the physical. Because, again, a lot of these man-made rules, although God gave some commands to the Israelites back in the day about food, and I'm going to touch on that for, for just a moment because we could really go way down into this and spend a lot of time. When we look at the rules and the commands that God gave to the Jews, to the Israelites, in fact, we talked about this briefly last week about this move that is happening among Christian churches today to sort of revert to a Jewish way of living and worshiping and celebrating the festivals and observing the foods and all that kind of stuff. And... Um, there's, it's just not, it's not biblically sound. 
Um, you might do it because it works for you personally or it, somehow it, it makes you sense that you have a closer relationship to God, but I would kind of question that, honestly, because it's, it's not a biblical approach to take to the way that we live, not only because uh, the New Testament here tells us much about being released from the Old Covenants, but here's the second part of it. Um, most likely, you're not a Jew. Those laws, those rules, those commands were most of them, the ones about lifestyle and food and dress and those things, they were meant to set the Israelites apart from everyone else. And so they weren't laws and rules that were given for all of humanity. They were given for the people of God so that others would see them and know right away they were different and they were set apart and that they were the followers of Jehovah. And so we get to this place and some of those rules were about food. And here Jesus says something, honestly, that's pretty scandalous. And, and the author here understands it's scandalous and he receives it and, and accepts it because he understands that Jesus is saying those commands that were given to the Jews regarding food, they are not valid here because it is not what goes into the body that defiles a person, but it's what comes out of their body that defiles them. And then he, he drills down into that. So he declared all, clue, all foods clean, and then in verse 20 he says, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. You get the, you get the feeling that Jesus had this teed up because that's a long list. <laughs> and boom, machine gun. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And we might think there are, there are occasions when we read stuff in the New Testament where it sort of feels like it's revolutionary, it's never been said before, and to many listening to this, this was very revolutionary because they were locked into a system that might sound a lot like some of the systems that you and I grew up in when it comes to church. They were locked into a system where so much emphasis was placed on how they looked, what their appearance was, both in behavior and in dress and modesty and things like this, that they had no longer understood, and sometimes we find this among ourselves, we no longer understand that it's what's, what's on the inside, what's happening in here is what determines our relationship and attitude before God as opposed to what we look like on the outside. I think back to uh, 
the book of Genesis, the beginning, the story. Because what then happens is, is, in, is in our modern culture, and, and it's not necessarily so modern because it's happened for a long time, Jesus is addressing it here. But let's think about it just in terms of, of church. I talk about when I grew up uh, in the Baptist churches that I went to. My mom was the Sunday school secretary in the large church that we went to when I was a kid. She took her job very seriously. Nobody messed with the Sunday school records, <laughs> except my mother. And those records were gathered in each Sunday school class every Sunday school morning through a little envelope that we had, our offering envelope that we would bring. And on the outside of that envelope, it had, I don't know, nine or ten little check boxes. Did you read your Bible every day? Ooh, I sure did. Did you go visiting this week? I sure did. Did you pray this week? I sure did. And I don't remember all the things that were on there. But, you know, we would gather that information. And that information's not bad. Um, it was good for us in some ways as a church to know that, man, our people are reading the Bible because now we live in a world where people don't read their Bibles. It was good for us to know that people were out there sharing the gospel because it's difficult for people, it seems, to share the gospel now. I don't know why it's more difficult now than it was then. Um, I've honestly very rarely ever had anyone flat out reject me when I wanted to tell them about Jesus. They'll usually at least hear me. They may not agree with me, but that's not my job. That's the work of the Holy Spirit to get them to agree. That's his business. I'm just supposed to tell. But what happens over time, especially in a place where it becomes very competitive, and that was built into our system in our church, it was, you know, we'd have competitions between the adult department and the kids department and the youth department, and our youth department would crush them every time. It was so sad to see the adults walk away in disappointment. Not really. It was awesome. But it wasn't healthy. <laughs> it, was, it, was not a, it was really not a good thing. Um, because over time what happens, and this is exactly what Jesus said in the text last week, you begin to ignore the commands of God in favor of the commands of men. And what, what happened over time was people began to be prideful about their Sunday school history. And a class would be prideful about how much better they did than another class. Or a department like our youth department would be prideful about how, better, how much better they were than another department. And I will never forget, Karen and I were uh, newly married. We'd both been working in youth ministry for uh, several years, teaching uh, high school students. We had the, at that time, we had the 11th and 12th grade class, had about 25 uh, students in there. It was a lot of fun. And things had transpired where I had moved from a volunteer to now I was the full-time music and youth pastor at the church. And so it was Sunday morning, and I wasn't in the classroom anymore. Karen was now team teaching with another lovely person named Karen. And uh, I was in the auditorium getting the, the orchestra ready and getting ready for music. And uh, one of the students comes flying into the auditorium and says, you better come to the 12th grade class because it's chaos in there. And I'm like... <laughs> 
what can possibly be happening in 12th grade Sunday school class? Bear in mind, at one time we had uh, the police show up and arrest a kid at Wednesday night youth group Bible study because he stole a car so he could bring himself and his friends to Bible study that night. So there were strange things afoot in a number of different ways, but still, I was like, what in the world? So I go up there and I go in and I open the door and it is just, it is, it is chaos. There's yelling and screaming at each other. <laughs> what is going on? And so I finally kind of get everybody separate. I'm like, what is happening here? And it was a fight over a girl who was relatively new, who had said that she didn't think it was a sin to smoke cigarettes. She's from Europe. There are places in Europe, they smoke cigarettes in the church, in the vestibule, and put the butts out on the floor and then go in the auditorium to worship. Americans are like, and so that was her lens. And this one boy, man, he was just, and I don't know what made me do it, but it made made me mad for a lot of different reasons. And I finally, I turned on that boy and I pointed my finger at his face and I said, aren't you lucky? Aren't you lucky that what you think is her big sin is so visible? And so obvious, but what secret sin are you hiding right now that nobody knows about? And I just walked out. And like two weeks later, his girlfriend is pregnant, and they're getting married. And I was like, ooh, don't, don't give me that. But this... This external righteousness based on how we behave is dangerous, especially when it's centered around things that aren't actually biblical commands, but are earthly, human, dare I say, worldly pursuits. Jesus referred to the religious leaders about that. Remember what he said? He said, you guys are whitewashed tombs. You look pretty on the outside, but on the inside is a bunch of dead bones. Because we can dress up the outside all we want. This is what he's saying. Whatever's on the outside, whatever's on the external, we can dress that up all we want. But if nothing is changing in the heart... Even the good things we do on the outside are defiling us. Because the heart is wicked. So very quickly, I just want to bring you to a few other passages of Scripture that underscore this. So Jeremiah 17, verse 9. There's one. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. In case you you wonder, because another thing that, that happens in our culture especially... In fact, I've had this conversation twice in the last three weeks. Is this, is this idea that people are inherently good? I, and, I, and I get it. I understand where that comes from. That's what I was going to say about Genesis. If we go back to the Genesis story, we do understand that when, when, when the voice of Jesus, the, the creative force in the universe, 
spoke the world into being, when he divided the light from the darkness, when he, when he built the firmament, the stars, and he, and he designed the earth, and he, and he held back the waters, and the land came forth, and then he populated it with, with animals, and he populated the sea with fish, and then he created Adam and Eve. When all of those things happened from the voice of God, at the end of each of those days, he said, this is good. But it was his creation that was good. It was his work that was good. But here today, the Bible teaches us again. Remember, that's our authority is the Bible. The Bible teaches us that through that creation, through Adam, that one man's sin entered into the world and therefore has influenced all of us. And all of us bear the stain of that. And because of that, we find verses like Jeremiah 17, 9, where God reveals a truth to us that we need to to embrace that says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So when Jesus says that which comes from the heart defiles a person, this is what he's thinking about, is that our hearts are deceitful. These are strong words. Above all things, desperately sick. And nobody really understands it. But there is a solution. And it is, again, the work of God. It's the creation of God. We're going to find that in Ezekiel chapter 11. I don't usually bounce around on passages. We usually sit in a place and stay and maybe go somewhere else. But I thought these were important. this was an important line to draw. All right, so we hear the words of Jesus. The heart is what defiles a person. It's what comes from within them that defiles a person, not what goes in and not what's on the outside. And the reason that happens is because the heart is deceitful. It's wicked. And it's desperately sick. But here's what God wants to do. Ezekiel chapter 9 Sorry, Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 19 and 21. Let me find it here. And I will give them one heart. Let me tell you, this passage here is talking about the nation of Israel, what God intends to do. And so we could in one one way say that this is a promise meant for the Israelites, But we understand that this is God's character here. This is his nature. This is how he operates. This is what he wants to do. And we see this echoed, what I'm about to read, we see this echoed in the New Testament, and I'll tell you about that in just a moment. I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them, and I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. But as for those whose heart goes after their detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, declares the Lord God. We see this echoed in the New Testament when it says that if anyone will be in Christ, they are a what? A new creation. All of the old has passed away and everything is made new. So we know that this idea that we see in Ezekiel wasn't just for that time. It's a principle that God carried on 
and offers to us if we will believe and if we will follow. He will give us a new heart. And out of that new heart can come stuff which doesn't defile us. We see this prayer in the book of Psalms. Psalms 51. Really famous passage. Psalm 51, verse 10. It's the cry of David after he's been found out of his sins with and against Bathsheba and the people and against God. And now he is repentant. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. This is a great model prayer for us when we mess it up. To truly repent and to turn back to God. Seek his forgiveness and ask him to cleanse us to take that, that hardness that sin develops and soften it up into a heart that he can use. I will forever be grateful to a man named Dallas Willard. Um, had the chance to, to see him speak a couple of times and have brief conversations with him. But I was probably, what, 20 years ago, Jason? Has it been that long? Almost? <laughs> wow. Was really wrestling with my own faith at that point. Because the, the plans I'd made weren't working out in the ministry life. And I didn't understand that. And a lot of that was wrapped up in I had done all the right things, but then it hadn't worked out the way I thought it was going to. And it's because I recognized in myself that I had become someone who had replaced a lot of what God wanted me to do with what other people wanted me to do in order to look like they wanted me to look like and then judge me as being a good Christian. And I wasn't sure where that left me. And I went through quite a period of, of what, what I think of as deconstructing my faith. Basically, stripping off all of the stuff that wasn't an actual essential and getting back down to the Bible and saying, okay, God, what matters here? What's true? How do I live? And it was at that moment we were at a conference, and uh, Dallas Willard has written some, some wonderful books. Uh, he's a really uh, brilliant thinker, very philosophical and, and esoteric, and he would um, be at these conferences, and a lot of times he would just do Q&A. People would ask these deep theological questions, and he would... He had just this beautiful way of, of putting them in words that you could understand, and, and I loved his devotion to the Bible and to the text. And he presented this idea that just radically transformed my thinking, and it has been really a foundation of, of everything I've done in ministry since then. And he said, he said, what if, what if we could become people who naturally choose 
to do the things that God wants us to do. Is that, is that what we're talking about? And then he went over some of these same passages about the heart and how God wanted to change the heart. And he said, he said, what if you could become a person who in the circumstances in which you encounter in your life with temptation or struggle or trial or opportunity, you responded not because you thought you had to, but just naturally because this is who you've become from the inside out because the Spirit of God is living in you and he's transforming you from the inside out out, what if then your actions and your thoughts and your words and, and how you look or whatever actually becomes a reflection of God in you instead of you trying to, to put on a costume that looks like God? And it was so liberating to me because I realized that in that moment, it released me from the responsibility of trying to make myself righteous or better or a Christian. And it put the dependency back on God to do his work in me if I would just be faithful to follow. And that was, that was, the, that was the, the connection to it. He says, See, so how do we do that? We have to be sincere, true followers of Jesus Christ, which comes back to reading your Bible and understanding the things that he said, understanding the things that he taught, because that's how we can internalize that and begin to put it into practice. But I want to take you to one last passage of Scripture that kind of, for me, draws this together, another very famous passage, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Because once again... Because we're humans and we like to find loopholes. Even in what I just said, it takes the responsibility off of me and puts the responsibility back on God to do his work in me if I will be a faithful follower. Because we're human, we go, oh, God, I don't have to do anything. Just, hey, God, do your thing. So I'm grateful to Dallas Willard for another thing that he said in that same conference. He said, God's grace is not in opposition to our effort. <laughs> they go hand in hand. In fact, we could pull up passage of Scripture after passage of Scripture where God says, listen, I will do this if you'll do this. That is the not conditional love of God or conditional love of God. It is he is willing to do work in us when we are willing to submit to him in certain ways. And this is kind of like it. So lest we think that anything that I've told you this morning, again, comes back to, oh, I don't have any responsibilities or it doesn't matter what I do and isn't grace wonderful and it'll just cover everything up, Jesus took care of all of this too. He was really smart to make sure that he covered all of his bases in telling us how he wanted us to live and to be. And so here we are to close it out. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Uh, yeah, yeah, hey, what did I say? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. I'm in Matthew chapter 28, which is not going to work. 
Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. You've probably heard this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we love that part, right? I, I do. Man, that is hopeful. That's, that's Jesus saying, you're carrying this incredible weight, this incredible burden. You're working very hard. Bring that to me. Give it to me. And I'll give you rest. But he doesn't stop there. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, many of us won't connect to that word yoke because we don't live in an agricultural, agrarian society. We're not farmers. We're not living out on the farm. We don't understand what this looks like. But I've, I've used this illustration before. Uh, that yoke is something that we might relate to an oxen pulling a plow, the, the thing that fits around their, their body just behind their neck and, and connects up around here and allows the person driving to direct that beast where it needs to go. That yoke also serves in, in other places as a thing that will carry the burdens and spread it out so that it's not directly sitting over top of the beast of burden, but it's, it's, it's spread out and easier to carry. But here's what we know from this. When Jesus says, bring your burden to me, I'll take it and I'll give you rest, he says, in exchange for that, I'm going to give you direction. I'm going to give you parameters. I'm going to give you rules and laws and guidelines for your life, and that's how I want you to live, and I, what I want you to do is I want you to learn those from me, and trust me, because I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart, which means he's not going to beat it into us. He's going to try and direct us and guide us in his way. He says, and if you do this, and you will find rest for your souls. So it's not, it's, the Christian life is not a call to whatever we want to do. It's not an invitation to live however we want to live. Remember, Jesus gave that long list, that, that machine gun list of things that are deceitful and come out of the heart of humanity and then we learn that he wants us instead to have a heart that's filled with his spirit. And that if we will do that, if we will agree to that, if we will receive that, what we're getting in exchange for that is we're getting his direction, his control, his guidance. And we'll have the opportunity to receive that and to learn from it. That is the call to the Christian life. Now, you can't have access to this Christian life if you don't know Christ. You know, my favorite verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. 
If you want this yoke, if you have this burden, you want to give it to God and you want to receive his control for your life, his guidance for your life, you want to live by his rules, the place where it first starts is to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Savior of all humanity, and even more specifically than that, the the Savior of your soul and the forgiver of your sins. And that is something that you have to confess before God, before people. You can do that verbally, like just tell someone, you know what, today I'm making the decision that, uh, that I, I believe in Jesus and I want him to forgive me of my sins and I want to live my life for him and be submissive, submissive to him and under his control. Tell that to someone. You can tell it also by living your life as someone who is actually a follower of Jesus instead of living like the world. You have to start there. And if that's you this morning, I'm just going to encourage you to do that. Take time right now. Pray to God. Tell him that you are ready to have him change out your heart for his heart, to fill you with his spirit, that you're ready to receive the salvation of Jesus Christ for your sins and that you're committing yourself to live for him from this day forward, and God will save you. And if you do that this morning, especially if you're here with us uh, on, online, I want you to go to that c3ak.com slash hello. I want you to send me a note. You can email me, Tracy at c3ak.com, because I want to rejoice in this with you. If that's someone here in this place today, I want you to come and see me when we're done here, and let's rejoice in that together and talk about it a little bit. But that's where it begins. And when that happens, you will find that you are freed from the expectations of what everybody else thinks, and you can instead be devoted to the expectations of God. And he says right here that his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. It's the best thing ever. I'm going to give us a blessing before we go here this morning, but I'm going to ask my friend Cliff, would you come and pray? I would love to hear you pray. This is my friend, Cliff Day. He's a pastor at First Baptist Sitka. His wife, Jennifer, is here with him. And uh, he has been just a fantastic friend to me over the past few years since he came to Alaska. And uh, we've enjoyed a lot of laughs together and some tears together and uh, have struggled through some ministry together. And I love to hear this guy pray because I think he talks to God. And so I want you to pray for us. Let me give a blessing. Cliff is going to pray. And as soon as he's done, we're going to kick off our final video for today. It's kind of the the theme of this message today was Jesus, really, right? And this song is one of my favorites called Give Me Jesus and uh, sung by a choir out of the University of Stellenbosch in South Africa. And it is a beautiful rendition. I hope that you enjoy it. Come and pray for us, would you please? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause the light of his face to shine upon you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Tracy, and wonderful sharing the word with you. Thank you, man. It's good to be here with you. If you would, pray with me. Our kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves today to be in your presence. We just thank you for being a God who loves us so much Lord, you give us a way, 
a way to come to you as little children and sit on your lap. And so today we look into your eyes and we feel your arms around us and we just thank you for being good because you are so good, good to us and good to the world in ways that we don't even deserve. Lord, because our hearts are so filled, you are also a forgiving God. Forgiving in your son's love, your son's blood, which came to cleanse us. And we just worship you for that and thank you for that and love you for that. Father, we thank you for this wonderful service that we've had today. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, for everyone who was in attendance, whether online or here in person, Lord, that we re-examine our hearts, Lord, and we just ask, Lord, that you be with us and forgive us of those things deep down inside that we don't tell even ourselves, Lord, that we know that are there but, Lord, we try to hide them in the box in the back. Lord, we just thank you for that. May we deal with those today through the power of the Holy Spirit. May you touch our hearts. And may you help us to leave here today to know that we have been in your presence and that the power of your Holy Spirit has filled us up and touched us. Lord, may tomorrow we serve you more than we did today. And, Lord, may the next week we do so even more until we become more like you. Lord, may we follow you. May you take our hearts of stone and turn them into hearts of clay and help us. And Father, if there's anyone out there who does not know you as their personal Savior, who has not had a life-changing event yet, Lord, I just ask that today be the day the Holy Spirit wrestle with them until their life is so dislocated they can't help but turn to you and say, Father, I need you. And Jesus, I need your forgiveness. Lord, may you be with us. Bless this church. Help it to continue to grow. Help it to reach out. And Lord, just continue to encourage Brother Tracy. We love you and we thank you. And we know that Alaska and Anchorage need the Lord. May you use us to do so. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And Jesus, we love you. Amen.